Hey y'all, Jen and Lindsay here from Corpus Delicti Podcast, here to tell you to check out our show. If true crime is your thing, it's ours too, with a touch of lightheartedness and a dash of Southern charm. We cover compelling cases and crack them open for you. Serial killers, hitmen, historical hallmarks, we've got it all and bring you new episodes every Tuesday morning. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and most other podcast apps. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter too. That's C-O-R-P-U-S-D-E-L-I-C-T-I. See you Tuesday. All bad things. Tragedies, Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things, otherwise known as Rachel's New Tax Podcast because I yes. passed my taxes. Well, and no, I didn't pass my taxes. That's a terrible way to put it. I passed my special enrollment examinations, all three parts, nailed it, done. After slowly going into insanity, yes. she's now returning to... Reasonable sanity. Well, that's first, where that's where you are today. Like well, you'll get more sane as the days go by. I feel like I'm going through like happy insanity. <laughs> like I've swung the other way. The pendulum doth yes. swingeth. Yes, <laughs> doth swingeth. As they would have said in Scotland or in England or somewhere in the 1300s. <laughs> okay. All right, in the dark ages. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yes. So no more studying six hours a day. I'm so freaking happy. <laughs> no more close to catatonia. No, I was, oh God. <laughs> I listened to last close. week's episode and you can tell I'm about to just absolutely need to be committed because of all of the tax code that was in my head, but it's over. I'm so happy. I have personally seen somebody go catatonic. I'm not going to, I'm not going to name names. Oh, no. I'm not going to name names, <laughs> well, but no. it, it involved, uh, will you name names off the record? I will off the record, okay. but it, I'll put it this way. It involved, uh, the New Jersey Meadowlands and the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> oh, is it the incident I'm thinking of? Yes, it probably I, is. Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> anyway. In case mm-hmm. said person is listening. I don't want to say who it is. Okay. <laughs> but I have seen it. could be anybody. But I have seen it happen, and I was slightly concerned. Uh, catatonia is nothing, <laughs> nothing to laugh at, no. as we laugh. No. <laughs> anyway. It's nothing to laugh at. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, that's over. I'm so glad. And I can do your taxes now, and I will soon be able to represent you before the IRS. In any state. In any state, because it's a federal designation, a CPA can't say that, nor can a tax attorney. (laughs) (laughs) I deserve to be smug for a moment here. Yes, you do. All right. Anyway. um, What are we uh, drinking tonight? Ah, what are we drinking? Well, so apparently, because I've heard about this beer years for for years um january february in north carolina is um sexual chocolate release that sounded really 
sad. It's actually February. Okay, February. Well, no, they had the Foothills had the celebration for it last weekend, so it was oh, in you're January. Right. Yes, you're right. But it probably doesn't get distributed widely until February. Yeah, like around Valentine's Day, I know it always is. Or around February first, which is what it is today. Well, yes, but I mean, for no, I'm just, makes, I'm just oh, saying okay. we we have it now. Yes, we do. <laughs> I, I, there was only two bottles left at pharmacy in downtown Cary, and I got one of them. And it's good. It is good. It is really good. The um, labeling is problematic, but <laughs> I won't go into too much of a diatribe about the hypersexuality or the hypersexualization, rather, of women of color in white culture or the hypersexualization hyper, <laughs> hyper of uh, women in general in the craft beer industry. That's all I'm going to say. It is pretty good, though. I'll leave that awkward silence. And then <laughs> I also have queued up, though I haven't opened it yet, um, one of our favorites, Burial, out of Asheville. Um, and other half, which from what I can tell is out of Brooklyn, um, did a oh. collab beer called uh, One for Me, and it's a Hell's Lager. So that should be... And I just say Hell's. Is it Hell's or Hellas? I think it's Hell's. I, I always thought it was Hell's because yeah. of, like, uh, Hell's Bells, the... Uh, mm-hmm. um, was it Raleigh Brewing? No, no, no. no. It's, um, um, Big Boss. Big Boss. Yes, the Big Boss beer. So, anyway, that's what we are drinking tonight. And water. I have three containers of liquid here. <laughs> so this is going to be a good show. I estimate a pee break. <laughs> <laughs> I predict a, pre- a pee break. Anyway. Um, shout out to, let's see, Brooke and Lexi and um, our pod friend Akshay and our pod friend Rachel We've interacted with all of them this week. They're lovely people. Yes. A lot of them. All of our fellow pod people. Yes. And, yes. And uh, all of our listeners as well. Yes, absolutely. Remember, um, at All Bad Things Pod, Twitter, Insta, Gmail.com. Facebook. Yes. Something In that else. order. Yes. <laughs> Just type yeah. all of that into the search bar <laughs> at once. On your browser of choice. Um, and rate, review, subscribe, etc. All right. Anything you wanted to add to housekeeping? No, I think that I think that covers it. We're keeping our housekeeping pretty uh, to the point these days. Yes. All right. Are you ready? <laughs> I am. Okay. I'm also hesitant. Why? Because you have a big smile on your face. You just did. <laughs> I, I think it, I'm still just super relieved about the tests. That's yes. the main thing. But I did give you... <laughs> so if it sounds like she's excited Gleeful. about tonight's tragedy, just know that she's not... It's misplaced. Yeah. Or it's uh, channeled. Something like that. Channeled incorrectly. Yes. I did give you some hints about today's tragedy. You did. I said, do you remember what it was? Uh, I don't. Okay, that it was historical, meaning not super modern, and um, that it had to do with Western Europe. And I came up with nothing. Not, absolutely nothing. You can't think of any Western European tragedies that didn't take place in, say, the last, like, 50 to 100 years. Okay, well, that's the timetable I didn't know. So well, like, 50 like to 100 not years? the 20th century or later. Okay. Before um, the 20th century. Western Europe. I'm sure there was some kind of war, but I, I'm drawing a blank. I'm well, sorry. no wars, from generally, right? Because that wouldn't necessarily... Yes, it's a terrible thing, but that's different than... We're talking about the late 1800s? Not necessarily the late 1800s. We're talking about the mid-1800s. Uh, a potato famine? <gasps> Did I ding, get it? Ding, 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 you got it! Okay. You got it, yeah. 
<laughs> Lucky for me, I just watched Gangs of New York again. Oh, it did that like cover a couple that? of weeks. Yes, that's why all the Irish people were coming over. Okay, yes. At that time, well, we'll discuss that. Yes, today's topic is the Great Irish Famine. Still, my favorite performance from Daniel uh, Day Lewis. Yes. Do you like how I kind of yes. exactly what you're talking <laughs> yes. about? Yes, you got it before I did. Because <laughs> I know you wouldn't forget Leonardo DiCaprio or Cameron Diaz. Uh, they were not. They were okay in that movie. Mm-hmm. Not great, but uh, <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis is like a special kind of badass in that movie, which well, is isn't he? You know, I don't think I've ever seen Daniel Day Lewis in any film ever. But he's isn't he largely considered to be like one of the greatest actors of all time? Yes, and he earns it. Okay, yeah. in in the gangs of New York, uh, in everything he does, pretty much. I mean, he's a he's he is a chameleon. Chances are you've seen him, you right. just didn't know it was him. Right, that's that's possible because he he did Lincoln, right? Mm-hmm. And my still, left feet, which or whatever. I still haven't seen. Oh, I have seen my left foot, not my left feet. <laughs> you only get one. You only get one. Well, I have two of them. Two left feet, right? That's why I was thinking left. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, well then you. If anybody have... with that was at a reception can attest, like I do have two left feet. Thank you. Oh no, you don't. <laughs> no, you're a drummer. You have good coordination. I hope so. <laughs> so you'll have a, a frame of reference from having seen the movie and had a little bit of an idea of of the. So, I call this the Great Irish Famine. It's it is popularly known as the Irish Potato Famine or the Potato Famine. Um, and there were multiple famines in Ireland, so to be specific, we yeah, are talking this about... This was not the only one. No. But this was the... We were talking about the one from the mid-19th century. So, between 1845 and 1849, so just before the, the exact middle of the century, approximately one million residents of Ireland died of starvation. Well, God. I should amend that, died. We'll get into a little bit more of that later. And over one million residents of Ireland emigrated Holy from the shit. country, leading to a roughly 20 to 25% population decrease in four years. Yes, as a result of a countrywide famine, often called the Irish Potato Famine. This is pretty close mm-hmm. to our Death Star edition. And the Death Star, mm-hmm. then the Death Star did, didn't actually happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so this is this Holy is our first shit. famine. I didn't know it was that many people. This is our first famine we're covering. Yeah. And famines can be oh, absolutely gee, devastating. Yes. That's uh, part of what led to what's going on in Syria now. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. A famine. It, it's it's kind of like. Famine, war, and genocide are all oh, they, kind of... Oh, they're all linked yeah. together. Yes, they are. <laughs> they are. And they are, they're all up there in death tolls, <laughs> yes. you know. It's usually the famine that happens first. And, and the political response mm-hmm. leads to the war. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. We're going to get into a lot of politics here, too. I'm, I'm very interested in this. And yes. Again, in the worst way possible. Right. So, this period in Irish history is often referred to as the Irish Potato Famine because of the dependency on much of the populace on the crop for their food supply and for their income due to farming. Sure, yeah. Um, But the causes behind the famine and mass emigration are way more nuanced than just potatoes. So, um, at this point in Ireland's history, which is 18... We're talking about the famine started in 1845... It was a part of the United Kingdom and had been for 44 years since the Acts of Union had been enacted between the Irish and British parliaments in 1800, which went into effect on January 1st, 
So now uh, here I'm going to put a nice big asterisk disclaimer on everything that is to follow. I am not a historian. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a journalist. I am not um, an expert in any sort of Irish history. And Ireland has a long and storied history. It's, it's a, yeah. That, a complicated that, one. That part of the world... There are so many different things you can get into. And, but, and there yeah. are so many digressions and rabbit holes. <laughs> yes. So what I am going to tell to keep this a story that moves along in the time period we have, etc., plus just the ability to understand what was going on, is going to be a simple version of facts. It will not include every nuance or potential um, you know, thing that affected everything else. Um, hopefully it is all accurate. I absolutely did my best to make sure I was following everything I was reading, um, and, and relaying it properly. But, um, if I didn't, Sarah Q, you know your job. <laughs> Let me know if you hear anything that doesn't sound right. So. But she listens to our tracks out of order, so she'll get to it eventually. <laughs> well, <laughs> and then we'll forget it all by then <laughs> yeah, anyway, right? Like, did I say that? <laughs> so basically I'm just trying to provide... As much context as possible without getting too bogged down in the his- entire sure. history of the island of Ireland. So, all right. So, basically, um, like 80% of Ireland's population at that point was, and I'm not sure what it is today, but at that point was Catholic, right? Sure. That Famous makes sense. Irish, Irish Catholic, Catholic, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and, and, uh, many Irish Catholics during this period were for the union with Great Britain um, that that uh, happened that's, in, in that's 1801. Not, that's not surprising. Well, do you know why? Uh, money, I would guess, would be the main reason. Um, it was actually the abolition of penal laws that unjustly were um, uh, discriminatory towards Catholics. That makes sense, too. Yes. <laughs> so So I'm going to put money at number two in yeah. this scenario. Right. Because without number one, you can't get to number two. Right. So at this time, there were laws in, enacted against Catholic people in Ireland that took away things like their voting rights, their ability to hold political office, educational restrictions, professional restrictions. Does took this a- sound familiar? Took away, <laughs> took away any power that one could acquire. Yes, and, and uh, as I said, does this sound familiar? Yes, it does. Did maybe anything like this happen in the United States? Uh, it's been happening for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just Lest an, we think it's gone away. It's just an overdrive now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the difference. Um, so, as we know, well, probably we know, um, Ireland has... We hope, we hope we know. Yeah, has a long history of religious strife. No. Yeah. So You're kidding. It has a large Catholic population. The Church of England is Anglican. Mm-hmm. And that skews more poor towards Protestant. I was just going to say, they were more Protestant. Yeah, it's, yes. it's sometimes called a hybrid of Catholicism and, and, and Protestantism. And it kind of is. Yes, and it kind of is. So, and it's it is... Same way Episcopalian is a right, hybrid like a of Catholic church, and, and... Yeah, it's a high yeah. church, Protestant-ish sort of thing. Um, and it, and uh, the Church of England, Anglican Church, is the official Church of Britain. Um, so when Catholics were promised... An abolition of discriminatory laws against them, that was all fine and dandy, totally for uniting with Great Britain, right? That, okay, sounds good. But what did old King George III do? (laughs) 
He blocked Mm -hmm. the emancipation, saying it was against his coronation oath to protect the Anglican Church. Yeah, basically whatever he came up with, and it didn't matter if he had said, uh, because I didn't have oatmeal this morning. Well, yes, but... (laughs) But, but he's just rubbing their face in it. Well, it's yeah. a screwed up reason, but yeah. basically he was but like... But back then it didn't matter. He's the king. Well, true. All he has to do is give any reason. Well, yes, but I would like to point out that he didn't just give any reason. He sure. used religion as his reason. Sure. And it very well may have been his reason, his actual, yeah. and not just like a political reason, that religious... Bigotry is a thing. Both people who are religious and people who aren't religious, people who are and aren't religious, bigoted against each other. Religion can be a very divisive issue. And it certainly was in this case. Um, so he was so he was like blocking the emancipation. But a little later on, um, Irish Catholic lawyer and politician Daniel O'Connell and Arthur Wellesley, the first Duke of Wellington helped persuade King George IV, who came after King George III, obviously, to sign the Roman Catholic Relief Act of 1829, allowing British and Irish Catholics to sit in Parliament. So now they could hold political office and removing most of the biggest restrictions on Roman Catholicism in the United Kingdom. Um, And even though uh, the efforts of emancipation during this time were led peacefully, there was still a fair amount of unrest. There's a Mm -hmm. tension. Yep, and sporadic sectarian violence. So all of this change did lead to a lot of social upheaval. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, Obviously. I mean, something like that, any slight change in government, which is not necessarily a change, but an acceptance of something else or. And oh, they they it was took a big our social change and right. political change. They yeah. took our rights away, and then they gave them back. So what's to say they're not going to take them away again? Is probably how well, or people who wanted them to not get their rights back. Right. And there's a lot yeah. of issues at hand there. Yeah. So the social milieu. Yeah. There's there's was, a there's a schism. Yeah. Very good. To represent my favorite band, Tool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> There was a schism in the milieu. We <laughs> <Sure>. we. <laughs> um, and another aggravating factor, sort of setting the stage for this famine, um, was some very predatory renting practices at the time. Um, so basically, what was called the ascendancy class, which is English and Anglo-Irish people who owned most of the land in Ireland that people farmed just about all of it had basically unfettered power over their tenants and could take whatever they wanted and fed those profits back to england so it wasn't feeding back into the irish economy necessarily um they also gave the tenant farmers very small parcels of land for farming uh 24 of all irish tenant farms were one to five acres uh 40 were five to 15 so we're not talking about huge bits of land here um and that made raising anything except potatoes almost impossible. Oh, okay, because they have such a small, small amount space of, yes. to work with. And and potatoes grew better and sure. than other crops in this amount it's, of land. It's a pretty um, it's a pretty universal food. Y- yeah. Like yeah. really, uh-huh. like if you have to like eat potatoes, eat potatoes every day sure. for the rest of your life, you'll still live. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. <laughs> you will. Mm-hmm. So, Especially if they're smiley face fries. Right? Exactly, <laughs> but you have, uh, but you have two things. You have an economy mm-hmm. 
um, and also like somewhat of a private sector. Like that's what's providing everything. This is all these individual farmers. Or the tenant out. farmers, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So the tenant farmers but I, who are I, having I, economic I, problems I, because of these I landlords. Can already see where this famine's going to go. So this is the backdrop mm-hmm. for this famine, um, and the leaders at the time knew it. Between 1801, they're like, whatever. Between 1801 and 1845, there were actually dozens of commissions and committees that looked into the state of Ireland as a country because it had just unified with Great Britain. So they were wanting to see what was going on in, in, in Ireland. And their findings consistently showed that the country was basically on the brink of disaster. The standard of living was incredibly low, and there were huge unemployment rates. Sure. So. Well, because you had a ruling class. Yeah. That essentially hoarded everything. Yeah. And fed it all back to another country. Fed yeah. it all back to England. To so. another ruling class. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, where have we heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> so, now on to the potatoes. Yeah. So, as I mentioned, small Irish, far- small farms with Irish tenant farmers... Um, because that was all that was allowed by landlords was these small parcels of land. Um, so the most sustainable crop to grow was potatoes. It had initially been introduced as a supplementary crop in Ireland. So like sure. side dish, yeah. right? Um, Which is but, how it's still considered. Right, right, generally, yeah. Um, Hopefully. But by, yeah. <laughs> but by the early 1700s, it became a staple crop, especially to the poor, and especially in the winter. Sure. And by the late 1700s, it w- it became a staple food year-round, especially for farmers. Also, a disproportionate amount of the potatoes grown in Ireland were of one variety called the Irish lumper. <laughs> the Irish lumper. I think that's a funny name. I don't know. The Irish lumper. That sounds like a boxer. <laughs> no, I was I was going with a wrestler. Oh, there you go. We'll see. We the Irish box. lumper. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. Irish slumber. So, and, he'll, and his finishing move involves beating you over the head with a sack of potatoes. Or um, or some sort of like spinning move called the masher or something. Yeah, that too. Or the Into the smashed sack. potatoes. Yes, yeah, so there you go. He like does a body slam and it's called smashed potatoes. Next, she's going to get into promoting wrestling. So just wait for that in the future. <laughs> I did want to um, get into roller derby at one point. So. Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> um, all right. So this caused, because there was just this one Irish lumber variety for most of the potatoes, there was a lack of biodiversity and genetic variety even within this one crop, just within potatoes, which left it more vulnerable to the devastating effects of disease. So it yeah, essentially didn't adapt very well. Well, no, it, it's just that... Different varieties are suscept- of, of crops are susceptible or, um, or stronger against, you know, depending, um, different diseases. But if everything is just all one type, then it it's going to spread. It can just run right it's through just it. Gonna, exactly. And before anybody knows there's a problem. Exactly. It's, like, it's already way past. Let's say the, the Yukon gold wasn't going to get the same disease as the Irish lumber, you know. Yes, and I do love Yukon gold. I, I like Yukon gold, yes. too. How many varieties of potatoes can we name? Russet? Russet? Uh, uh, red? No, that's not a <laughs> I, was, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> The au gratin potato. <laughs> That's what they become. Do you know what au gratin, or au gratin means? I have no idea. I believe it's with cheese. 
Oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. In, on Top Chef, they call it a gratin. Oh, a gratin. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> back to the story. Back to, uh, back to an event that killed a million people. Oh, that. Yes, that's right. And caused another million <laughs> to flee. Yeah. Another aggravating factor was the so-called Corn Laws enacted in Great Britain between 1815 and 1846, which put high tariffs and restrictions on imported food and sure. grain. Does this sound familiar? Uh, it does about a week ago with solar panels. Yes. Yeah. Um, so those were collectively, the, the grains were collectively referred to as corn, hence it was called Corn Laws. Um, the idea was to what? Favor domestic production of crops, and more specifically, absentee <laughs> British landowners to favor them, right? Sure. Um, it ended up being a pretty bad idea overall, not just because of the effects on the Irish people, but the higher food prices raised the cost of living even in England, which reduced disposable income of the British people, which hampered economic growth in sure. general, even in yeah. other sectors. So it was kind of a shoot yourself in the foot sort of situation and shoot the Irish people in the head. So it was just a, t- a terrible well, idea. Which let's face that they were going to do anyway. Well, but. well hmm. Um, oh, an interesting side note, the laws, the Corn Laws, which began in earnest in 1815, started right before, or right, yeah, right after, anyway, the year without a summer. Was that 1814? I, I, no, I think it was 1815 or 18, oh, I forget what year. Anyway, basically. It, it was early on, though. Basically, what happened was, um... The, oh, okay, never mind. I, I read the rest of my paragraph, and now I understand it. So I think um, Year Without a Summer, the the um, Mount Tambora eruption was like in June or May or something. Or, no, That's April. That's right, because those I two things April. were close together. Of 1815. Yes. These corn laws went into effect like two or three months before yeah. the eruption of Mount Tambora. And the year without a summer caused a lot of crop devastation. Mm-hmm. So these so that, corn laws compounded that during the year without a summer. Yeah, and obviously wound up jacking up the price for everything because right. crops all over the earth are mm-hmm. it, pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. For so, the for the preceding years were just gone. Right, but I just always find it interesting when our um, tragedies intersect. Those three definitely do. I mm-hmm. never would have thought of that if you hadn't pointed mm-hmm. it out. But yeah. now that you did, I'm like. I'm like, yeah, those all happened in, like, subsequent years. What do you mean, those all? The Those three tragedies. What three tragedies? I only am talking about the Irish potato famine in yes. the year without a summer. And I thought you were talking about the volcano eruption, too. Mount Tambora was what caused the year without a summer. We, yeah. We covered oh, that all well, in one. I, I was thinking it's of a different... It's all one part of it. I was thinking of a different episode where oh, we covered a volcano. Oh, gotcha. No. No. Um, that's what caused the year without a summer was the volcano right. eruption. Yeah. Um, so there were many recorded crop failures of varying severity during the 1700s and the 1800s, but a particularly nasty blight on potatoes began in 1845. This blight is a disease that destroys the leaves and the roots, the tubers, the actual potatoes themselves, of the potato plant caused by water mold called Phytophthora infestans. Or okay. pea infestans. It's like the um, Latin name for it. Phytophthora infestans? No. Phytophthora. Okay. F- 
Fight of Thora. Fight of Thora. Fight of Thora. <laughs> infestants. P infestants, they call it. Like P That's period infestants, yes. yes. The likely source of this blight was actually us, the United States. Yay, go us. We passed blight on to Ireland. What did we do this time? Well, so ships that came from the east coast of the United States may have brought potatoes with this disease to European ports. And this blight did not just affect Ireland, for the record. it wasn't intentional. Well, no, but do we ever, like, well, yes, we do intend to I was going to say, Never mind. Um, so you're welcome, Ireland and Europe. Um, its effects were also felt throughout much of northern and central Europe. Sure. It was probably felt everywhere, Mm -hmm. but most drastically, obviously, in Ireland. Yes. One of the reasons it hit Ireland especially hard, though, was the fact that this blight was a water mold, and Ireland had a particularly rainy summer in 1845, which propagated the mold a lot faster than it would have in drier conditions. Since it is a water mold. So overall in Ireland, by 1845, it's estimated that between one-third to one-half of all cultivated acreage of potatoes were lost. God. Due to disease. So that's like half the food supply. That's 50%. Just... Up to, yeah. Mm -hmm. Put that... All right. Back at this time, Mm -hmm. that was like their main crop. Yes. Year-round. So... (laughs) Well, today would probably be corn. I mean, corn's in the everything. U.S. especially, yeah. Not that it would necessarily be a bad thing, but it probably would. Oh, it would devastate the food. But just imagine. But just imagine. Uh, right, all of a sudden. All of a sudden, fifty percent of corn is gone. Like just that. That would have dead a due to disease, that would yeah. have a huge effect on our oh, food yes. supply. Not to mention the economy. Yeah, and this is at a time now where we can just go to a store and get whatever we want. Yeah. This is in the. 1840s. Ireland, yeah. Where you had to grow your food yep. and maintain your land yep. and do all those things. Yep. Go deer hunting. Do whatever you had to do to survive. Mm-hmm. And one of your main sources of food is gone. Just gone. Just dies. No shit. Yep. Yep. By I, 18... I'm, now, s- I'm so glad I was born in 1977. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but listen to this. By 1846... The number of cultivated acreage of potatoes that was lost to the disease was up to 75%. So we're talking about like a real, almost obliteration of the entire food supply. And it was in the fall of 1846 that the first deaths due to starvation were reported. Sure. Or recorded. Because it probably started happening like in... in earnest. Well, in a great amount of numbers here and there. Like, geez, people are dying all over the place. Because at this point, it had been about a year. Yeah. Um, Even as the crops recovered from the blight, the effects of the low yield of potatoes still continued, because you you don't just bounce back from that right away. And even in um, 1848, the crop was still only two-thirds of what it would have normally been. So even while they're coming out of it, you know. Let's talk about the political reaction to all of this. (laughs) So... It was obvious as soon as 1845 that things were getting really bad really fast for food security in Ireland, and suggestions were made to political leaders to open up ports to foreign corn, stop distilling grain, like, no, we need to eat it, not drink it, um, stop exporting food from the country, so keep keep the food in the country because obviously the Irish people need it, and try to help the unemployment rate through hiring people through public works. 
Um, the Lord Lieutenant. <laughs> Those all sound like pretty good suggestions right? for. Well, so the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. <laughs> there's going to be some great titles and names here. Lord Hatesbury. Lord Hatesbury. Or I think that's what it is. Sure. Said they were, quote, premature, end quote, in their concerns, and that scientists were working on the problem. And economists were working on the economic effects. So he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. We've got smart people working on it. The end. Um, I'm still getting paid. That's all I know. <laughs> exactly. In December of 1845, our boy Daniel O'Connell, remember him? Mm-hmm. Um, who had been so instrumental in the Catholic emancipation, proposed several fixes for the increasingly dangerous famine. One suggestion was the introduction of tenant right which would allow landowners to collect fair rent on their land from tenants, but, I'm going to nerd out here, give the tenants compensation for any expenses they may have incurred while making improvements to the land. This, my friends, is what we call capital improvements. (laughs) And yes, it is valuable. It's normally depreciated. That's how valuable it is. It depends on the type of property, um, but in the United States, it's depreciated under what we call the Modified Accelerated Cost Recovery System, or MAKERS. And there are different types of uh, conventions for this this, um, depreciation. You can take straight-line depreciation or 200% or 150% (laughs) declining balance depreciation. Um, Now, if it is a Section 1250, um, should I stop? You should probably stop. And I I should also tell our audience (laughs) that I've had to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning every day this week for work. (laughs) And when I would wake you up, that's how you would start talking. (laughs) <laughs> That's not true, is no, it? I, no, I'm <laughs> okay. I am kidding. You probably did do it in your sleep. Probably. But, but I was I was so passed out myself that I was like, <laughs> it you know, didn't even register. But yes, uh, that's just a, a, a small preview of how close she came to losing her mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Only if, a few days ago. <laughs> if you would like to learn more, please contact us at allbadthingspod. <laughs> At gmail.com. And when I come out with my... Um, Taxes and bookkeeping. <laughs> when I come out with my uh, tax comic strip, I'll let everybody know. Yes. Yes. It, it sounds... It doesn't sound like the greatest idea in the world, but I think it is. I solved one of my problems on my test today by using my stick figures. Yes, there you go. The person who got my scratch paper to throw it away, because you have to turn your scratch paper in afterwards so you don't steal questions. <laughs> she was like, oh. There were little stick figures, like, <laughs> with the hair and everything. Like, um, anyway. Okay. Where was I? <laughs> All right. We will so, let the audience know also when that comic strip comes out. Yes. So basically, like, he was saying, okay, landlords, you can charge reasonable rent, but you can't go crazy. You can't gouge these people. And if they make improvements to their land, they get a cut of the improvements they made, basically, like, to oversimplify it. If they increase the value yeah, of they, the property... They should get a cut of it. They get a piece of it. Yeah. Not all of it. No. But a piece. Le- like a monetary compensation for yes. it. Yeah. That, like I, some sort of kickback for it. I would think that any reasonable person would be like, yeah, that sounds fair. Yes. Now, we're not talking about reasonable people. No, we're not. 
We're talking about an Irish potato famine. <laughs> O'Connell also pointed to how Belgium was handling the crisis. Remember, this was going on in other parts of mm-hmm. Europe. They closed all their ports to exports, so everything was staying in the country, and opened them to imports so they could get more food in to keep as much keep and collect as much food as possible for the people. Um, and unbelievably... So, essentially, kind of everybody's hoarding. Is kind of what they're doing, it sounds like. Belgium. This I, I did not read about other countries oh, in Europe, okay. but I do know that that was one of the things that O'Connell That's what pointed Belgium to. Doing. That was what Belgium was doing. Um, unbelievably, at this time, exported food was still leaving Irish ports, even as the Irish people were starving. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, because, business well, needs to go on. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody is going to... This is... 200 plus years ago, nobody is going to know that those people are dead for like another six months. <laughs> well. And, and that was considered like high speed communication back then. <laughs> um, so o- O'Connell's ultimate contention was that the act of union with Great Britain should be repealed and that the Irish Parliament should provide both food and employment to the people of Ireland. So that's what he, his end game was. That's what he was going for. Now, to be fair, not all politicians were ignoring the situation. Sure. Now, here's where we get into a lot of British po- politics for a little bit. <laughs> I hope I got it right. I, I'm, I'm excited it's to get hear a little the tricky, names. Yes. British Prime Minister Sir Robert Peel okay. secretly purchased 100,000 British pounds. So by British pounds, I don't mean like pounds. I mean the money, obviously. And it's not adjusted for inflation because I don't know where to find a pound. It's what, it's what a euro. It's what a euro is now. No. Don't they? Uh, no, go Britain by the is euro? on the pound system. I thought everybody was on the euro. No. Oh, well, now Britain was part, or England was part. The United Kingdom was part. Uh, was note, or I think technically still are, but are not going to be for long part of the European Union. But they never switched their currency to the euro. Oh, I they didn't kept know the that. pound. Indeed. And that is once again. If you need your taxes or your books done. <laughs> I didn't know that because of the taxes. I know. But it sounded like you did. And actually can can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I feel very confident. If I were... <laughs> Good, because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> if I were taking a test on it, I would feel confident about that answer. So um, so he, he secretly purchased 100,000 British pounds of maize and cornmeal from America, from the United States, in November of 1845, secretly, like on the DL. But bad weather kept the first shipment from arriving until like three months later. And the corn that was shipped initially was unground dried kernels of corn, which few Irish mills could even process. So it was mm. kind of useless, at least in, in the beginning. For a while, it just sat there until people well, were like, oh, uh, what are we going to do with it? Peel also tried to repeal the corn laws in October 1845, but it split his party, and he didn't have the political backing to pass the repeal. He resigned. Yeah. But keep listening. In December of 1845, but his opposition couldn't figure out how to properly run the government. Oh, my God. Does this sound familiar, United States? (laughs) Um, So he was reappointed, like, a few weeks later (laughs) as the prime minister. He set up a public works program in Ireland in March 1846, but conditions were still deteriorating. Um, Peel was eventually able to successfully repeal the Corn Laws in June of 1846 and did it 
basically by sacrificing his entire political career. His own political party split on the issue, and he was ousted as sure. prime minister on June 29th. Or uh, sacked. Yeah, oh, there you go. Yes. <laughs> Actually, get back to me on that one. <laughs> and do you know what they call being laid off? I don't. Being made redundant. I learned that from the <laughs> office. That sounds worse. No, but it just means like... No, I know, but it just sounds worse. Well, and I'm not sure it's in all cases of being laid off or just if like... Because it's from the office, maybe because the branches were merging. Laid off sounds like everybody... Like, okay, I understand. Like, I've been through that. Made redundant sounds like somebody hit you over the head with a baseball bat. <laughs> That's what it sounds like okay. to me. Like, like <laughs> He was okay. made redundant. Like, all of a sudden I hit him and now he's... Like a slightly retarded person. No. I know. That's, I'm and, just saying that's what it sounds like. <laughs> and as the bleeding heart li- liberal millennial, may I just say that the R word is very offensive. I'm sorry. Okay. But Where as a right Gen Xer, <laughs> no. we didn't know that back then. Yeah, it's true. No, we, we said some pretty... We had some, some shit we would say in elementary school that wasn't very nice, too. I fully understand that apologies to all (laughs) (laughs) all right so he was he he did successfully repeal the corn laws at the the price of his own career and it's still speculated as to why he did this because he had previously been opposed to corn laws it it put him on the outs with his own party and it's still like no one's 100 percent sure why he did it they don't think it was, like, the goodness of his heart sort of a thing. I'm going to get... Because I was trying to figure out his angle right, about like, why that. Right, why would you do that, yeah. Um, i And, and again, this. there's a lot of information out sure. there that I didn't dig into on that. I would... I would. What I was thinking was, maybe he knows people that are going through this, that um, other people doesn't know that he knows. No, that's and the, the nice interpretation, yeah. That's what I'm, I'm hoping, anyway. Yeah. For his, uh, for his a, own sake. That's a generous interpretation. But it was probably nice. because he was just like, uh, uh, somebody's paying me to do this, fuck it. Well, yeah, who knows. <laughs> but so, I'm hoping it was the former. Yeah. So the administration of Peel's successor, Lord John Russell, Lord. one might call him Jack Russell. Oh, yes, one <laughs> might. What was your joke? You had one? I didn't. Oh, okay. Did I? You were... Oh, no, I was, I was thinking of Jack Kennedy or John Kennedy. Oh, okay. So, Lord John I was, Russell's... I was giving you an aha. Aha, there we go. His administration took Lord a... Lord John Russell. Lord John Russell. Of the Russells. <laughs> of the uh, Canterbury Russells. I don't know. That That's probably not true. Took a very different approach to the food security crisis. Uh, his administration thought the best idea was to leave things alone and the food, the markets will just stabilize themselves because that's how everything always works oh in God. politics. Talk leave about, it alone talk about and it where will solve we itself. have heard that before. We've been hearing it literally our entire lives. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, <laughs> they halted the previous administration's food and public works programs they did institute a new public work program by the end of 1846, but it was not terribly successful, and the public assistance continued to deteriorate rapidly. And just to kind of give these political administrations a, a bit of a break, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure nobody was prepared for this. Well, but so, the thing is, they knew for years that this was going to happen. 
They were on the brink of this forever. But still, they're not... decades. I don't think there are... I don't... Back in that time, I don't think people are making preparations for it necessarily until it starts really... You know what I mean? Uh, there, There was a lot of canaries in the coal mine on this one. There was a lot of um, missing the cues and... True, but but what I keep thinking is, okay, if everybody was kind of onto it and everybody had, like, a good strategy, then why are a million people dead? They did, well, they were onto it, but they didn't have a good strategy. Well, that, that's, I, I guess that's what I'm... They were trying to come I guess up that's with what something. I'm, that's what I'm saying is... Well, and, and so let's, let's get into that a little bit because okay. I, I do have some more stuff on this. So, um, overall, and very sadly, the person in charge of government relief in Britain, a man by the name of Charles Trevelyan, okay. uh, said... I'm going to go with that. Quote, so this is the guy who's in charge of government relief, period. He said, quote, the judgment of God sent the calamity to teach the Irish a lesson, end quote. (laughs) That's terrible. That's pitiful. (laughs) That's also 1845. And where have we heard that before? We've heard it every year, every, anywhere. The first thing that comes to my mind is the AIDS epidemic. God's okay. punishing people, uh, sure. okay. gay people okay. with AIDS. Like that wasn't that the the kind of the party yes. line for a while. Oh, yeah, not only the party line. Yeah, it was, was uh, the, the nationwide mm-hmm. line. Yeah, no, yeah, it was. So I mean, it wasn't until like kids like Ryan White were dying that people so, sort yeah, of started of, changing because their of minds. blood transfusions. Just, well, just and just the yeah. fact that first of all, it doesn't matter. Why something sure. is happening? You're you're a cold, heartless person if you don't have empathy towards people. You're potentially a psychopath or serial killer too, and um, it, it just it it doesn't fucking matter who's hurting. Like it just matters why they are, and that you sh- if you can stop <laughs> yeah, it, you should. Yeah. Especially if you're in a leadership role, like yeah. that's that's just this guy's. But but also awful. this is this is eighteen forty. Five, 46 right. at this yeah, point. 46. I, so that's... I know, but it's still going on. That's the, that's yeah. the, anyway, it's understandable why there still remains a lot of controversy as to Great Britain's role in this famine. Some academics have even gone so far as to suggest it was an attempted genocide of the Irish people. Though that viewpoint is highly controversial, though not a new idea at all. John Mitchell, an Irish political journalist of the time, back during the time of the famine, wrote, quote, The Almighty indeed sent the potato blight, but the English created the famine. A million and a half men, women, and children were carefully, prudently, and peacefully slain by the English government. They died of hunger in the midst of abundance, which their own hands created. End quote. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. And you have to, you have to, mm-hmm. people have to <coughs> remember. No, yeah, no, remember no, back in 1845? Remember, remember 200 years ago? Yeah. Nobody remembers it. But as history, again, history is written by the winners. But anyway, the history we know of, of the earth at this time, of the world, mm-hmm. England at this time still had a lot of power. Yeah, it was a, a ton major of major po- world power, yes. yes. They just didn't have power the over... Empire. Yes, they just didn't have power over us at that time. You mean in the United States? Yes. Mm-hmm. But at that time, that part of the world, they had control oh, yes. of a lot of mm-hmm. it. So... 
would they take advantage of something they saw coming? Like, as we... But as a genocide? I mean, I can't... America has also committed... The United States has committed genocide, no, but, too. But I'm, but I'm just but. saying, if they could see, like, oh, if, you know what I mean. Like, if they could see if we cut off this supply of potatoes and do nothing about it, and it'll, that's a very subtle way, like that writer just said. Of genocide. Yeah. That that's people are being implied. So I wouldn't put it past them. Well, well, <laughs> like so... Put, that's, that was a very long way of, of saying, I'm sorry, audience, of saying, I would not put it past England... Well, to do that. So in 1990 At that time. In 1997, mm-hmm. British Prime Minister Tony Blair yes. made a formal statement offering an apology to Ireland for Britain's government's handling of the Irish famine crisis at the time. So he was yeah. taking responsibility. And there's... Like 150 years later. There's but nothing still. wrong with that. Just get it on a record. Yeah. Well, Just be like, hey, dick move. Sorry. On our part. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Well, yeah. You know, that's and that's basically what he did. You know, it's it's not it's not bowing down. It's not this. No, it's just no. being like, yeah. being like, hey, sorry, our government. No, I'm not arguing against this. No, yeah, I'm just, I... people would oh. is what I'm saying, and just coming out and saying, be like, hey, like 140 years ago, our government was filled with maniacs. <laughs> we apologize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just have it and like, all right, let's finally get on. Mm-hmm. Get on with it. Get on with it. We're going to have to oh, say God. things in our British accents and have um, Akshay laugh hysterically <laughs> at us while we're doing it. He's got a great accent, he does. by the way. He it's has very a lovely. brilliant accent. Yes. Birmingham. Yes. No, that was more Liverpudlian, the way I said that. Right. Birmingham. No, it's, it's like Aussie. Aussie's from I, Birmingham. I, yes, he is. There's more Birmingham. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to continue on. Let's talk about the civil response. I'm sure Akshay is shaking his head right now. <laughs> Hopefully he's, he's laughing. Yes. Hopefully he's doing both at the same time. <laughs> just being like, oh, these people. What, what did I get myself into? There were many charitable efforts, both public and private, inside and outside of Ireland, to help the Irish people. So there was a, a humanitarian response. There are records that the people of Ireland very adamantly refused to ask for any outside assistance. And that it was Great Britain that tried to get aid to Ireland on Ireland's behalf. And, in fact, Britain itself may have profited from the charities as well. So there was some alloca- allegations of, like, siphoning of <laughs> Again, like <laughs> charitable the, funds. Not exactly yeah. a, a shock. Yeah. Anyway, this does seem like a very contentious point in British-Irish history. You could put this kind of template. Uh-huh. You could sub out the potato famine for a disease, sub it out for a... A year without a summer, but the the governmental structure at that time and pretty much still today, things flow on the same. People die, people profit, people take advantage. Yeah, like, that's 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 really true. that's really very never changed. Um, but this is this is actually a nice thing. One notable charitable effort was 170 U.S. dollars. Again, that's not adjusted adjusted for inflation. That was raised by the people of the Choctaw Nation in the United States. Okay. In 1847, just 16 years after the Trail of Tears, when they faced their own starvation and and genocide. And just just 14 years before the Civil War. Yep. Yep. Um, So that was, that's pretty noble and notable of the Choctaw Nation for sure. 
Um, landowners in Ireland, one of the main groups responsible for starting the famine through their predatory renting practices, evicted thousands off their land. This obviously was a terrible thing to do, especially at this time, like just rendering people homeless. Yeah. A handful of landlords were the victims of revenge killing. I see, yeah. <laughs> kind of understandably. Yeah. Um, but. I would say also justified. Mm. But one of the biggest effects of the famine was the mass emigration from Ireland. Yes. Now, it wasn't just the famine that was no. responsible for this. This had been going on for a while, but um, it did spike significantly during the famine. And uh, during one year, during the famine, as many as 250,000 citizens emigrated from Ireland. Um, this emigration was notable in that both men and women emigrated in in equal proportion. Hmm. So it wasn't just a bunch of men going off. It was men and women. And a lot of families were broken up during emigration. Parents would send their children to emigrate. So um, the emigration during this period was mostly to England, Scotland, South Wales, North America, and Australia. After 1847, and this is a total dick move, Britain put restrictions on Canada <laughs> receiving <laughs> Irish immigrants because they thought there would be a nationalist uprising in Canada of these Irish immigrants. They weren't necessarily wrong to think that. <laughs> Canada was, like, brand new right yeah, then. Well, <laughs> they were. So this led to more emigration to the United States. Sure. Particularly, and most notably, to Boston, New York City, Philadelphia, and Baltimore. Go Eagles! Um, this is coming out after Super Bowl Sunday, though, isn't it? It is. So I might be putting my foot in my mouth if they lose. Huh? I will say go Eagles. Well, go I, Eagles. I'm pretty sure they're going to lose, so I don't mind saying it. Well, but I, I, I hope certainly they hope win. not. I hope they win. We're a uh, Bills fan, Dolphins fan. We're not going to be cheering for Tom Brady. No. Or the Patriots in any context. Or the Jets. Or the Jets. <laughs> J-E-T-S. Suck, suck, suck. <laughs> She learned that from me, by the way. No, I didn't. I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, if you are Jets fans, our listeners, we love you, even if we don't love your team. And it's okay if you don't love ours. That's it. So, anyway. <laughs> continuing on with the potato family. Continuing on. In immigration. So that was it that I had for immigration. Okay. Now, the aftermath. The famine is considered to have officially ended in 1850. Um, though, now, this is... Oh, 150 years ago, numbers are tough to estimate, you know, and the numbers can only be estimated, but it is believed that around a million Irish people died during the famine and roughly the same number emigrated. It's actually likely, so, so this was a, I think there was like 8 million people in Ireland when the famine started. And they ended with six million, so like it wiped out a quarter, a quarter of the population Holy between death shit. and emigration. Yeah, um, it's likely that more people actually died, died, died. I feel like I'm like Snoop Dogg or something. Actually died of disease <laughs> as opposed to starvation. Did you like that? Yes, I did. Died. <laughs> shizzle, Died. <laughs> I didn't get the Snoop Dogg reference until you brought it up. Like that? Yeah. Um, so it makes sense for a lot of reasons that disease was rampant. Um, so sanitation conditions, being poor, um, malnourishment can lead to, to decreased immunity. You know, 
poor health in general. It can lead to diseases. Yes, exactly. All that stuff can. Yep. So and, and now you've got a quarter of your population going through it, so it's going to... Well, a, a million well, died. I, it's harder to... Yeah. 10%. Dying on, on, on the low end. Yeah. yeah. And those are just the so, ones who died. There yeah. were obviously a lot of people who were sick but recovered, you yeah. know. Um, diphtheria and dysentery <sighs> were like the big two. Yeah. Um, but also cholera, smallpo- smallpox, typhus, typhoid, and the flu. Um, interestingly, even after conditions improved and Ireland began coming out of the famine, the potato remained the staple crop of the country. So hopefully with a little more biodiversity, but who knows. Even when Ireland eventually achieved its independence in 1921, its overall population was around 4 million, half of what it was before the famine. Sure. And here's something really interesting. I read that. I was like, oh, I never even thought of that. So the famine, obviously, now this is a while ago, but it still left a notable impression on Irish culture. Absolutely. Like, yeah. 100 years from now, 9-11 is still going to be huge. Yeah. Like, in America, it, it will still have a lasting impact in American culture. Yeah. A million people died and a million people left. Yeah. That's going to have oh, yes. far-reaching Ripple effects. effects, yeah. yes, absolutely. So something I read that was so interesting is that there really is an interesting legacy in the 20th century of famine relief efforts led by Irish people, like Bob Geldof in Live oh, Aid okay. I, I and was... Bono. I was just going to say Bono. I know. (laughs) I love you, Ireland. I just can't stand your Bono. His name is Paul Hewson, by the way. Yes, Paul. Paul. What's the Edge's real name? I I honestly don't know. I'm going to guess it's Mike. So, Um, for anyone who doesn't know, (laughs) I can't stand you two. She's got the face again. I have the face. (laughs) U2 is one of my least favorite bands of all time because they wrote one song and did it 20 times and they were a hit every time. And I cannot stand Bono. <laughs> I can't. He's in every music documentary and I can't he listen is. to him speak. Well, th- that's, uh, I-, I was going to say I apologize to my two older sisters oh, if they're listening. Yes. But it's okay. Um, he is insufferable. But, but he is insufferable, and he is also in every rock documentary so that covers any kind of a genre at all. Even close. It's like, like even not not even his, his genre. It's like it's like why was he in the the, the was, studio in Mississippi? What was yes that? yes. What was that called? Oh damn, I don't even remember. But it was but it's like why was he? He in was that? the first person to speak <laughs> in that documentary. Like, I don't think they recorded there. Or did they? I don't. I don't, I don't even It doesn't care. even matter. Like, but he was in there, <laughs> and it ruined it. It ruined it. Ruined it. <laughs> ruined it. I say. So I stopped watching it. Like, after yes, <laughs> yes. It it was like an exorcism. <laughs> but so I don't like Bono. But this, this will not become the classic rock podcast. No, but one more thing about music. Okay. Um, one of my favorite movies ever is The Commitments, which is a totally Irish yes, movie. It's very Irish. And it's brilliant. And it's amazing. And talk Elvis about was an occasion. <laughs> Fucking blasphemy! <laughs> <laughs> say it once and say it lewd. I'm black and I'm prude. <laughs> I love that movie. That was very good. So, thank you. <laughs> so to all of our 
Irish listeners, many apologies, and we love you. <laughs> to the five or six of you. Because well, we do get statistics, so yes, we, know, we, we know you're out there. We know you're out there. We love you. We're glad your ancestors survived, and we're also glad your ancestors... We're glad for the commitment. <laughs> yeah, we're glad... We're sorry about the potato famine. <laughs> we're glad many of, of your relatives also came over to the United States to enrich our tapestry of culture. Cultural tapestry. Continue on. I'm done. <laughs> so that was the Great Irish Famine. The Great Irish Famine. That wasn't bad. That wasn't bad either. No. It wasn't. No. I probably shouldn't mention Lucky Charms at this point. No. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to edit that out. <laughs> There's been a couple of times I've asked you to edit things out, and I can hear myself asking for it in the broadcast, and it's still in there. Because I think it, I think it gives a good... <laughs> you are going to edit out the I'm Lucky Charms. I'm not going terms. to. I am not going to. Because I am more lazy than I am proud. <laughs> and it's easier to just leave it in, which is why I leave yours in, too. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. I'm starting to wonder if we should release this one. <laughs> it's a good one. It is a good one. <laughs> we've, we've almost had too much fun. <laughs> folks, what you... Folks, I know you hate that word, and I do, too, and I just said it. You just say folks. People. Friends. Pod people. <laughs> I have had to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning... <laughs> Every day this week for four days in a row. She's been trying to finish her tax certification. We're both just kind of... <laughs> Loopy. Yeah. So, I know there's been a lot of laughing and giggling during the Irish potato famine. <laughs> which which is a, hor- which is a fucking horrible thing. Uh. By far, I think that has a bigger body count than every podcast that we've done before it combined. We're talking about a million people. Um, well, we had... Um, the year without a summer that was, was a sizable. couple hundred thousand. It was only yeah. a couple hundred thousand. It wasn't that many. No, it was. It, I don't think it was in the millions. Was the it? The only thing that we've done before Dust. that had a million <laughs> was something that fictional ha- that happened in a movie. Yes, we have much more um, sympathy for people from our own planet than we do from a fictional one. And it wasn't even a planet; it was a ship. It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a fictional ship at the that. Si- the, the size of a small moon. Tatooine. <laughs> but, Hoth. But, uh, We're done with but, Star Wars now. <laughs> but uh, I am just uh, happy that I guessed it right. You did. You did. All I told <laughs> all you was because, like... All because I saw, and I'm not even kidding. York. All because I rewatched Gangs of New York a couple weeks ago. For the first... Like, I think I'd only seen that movie when once before. Out. Yes. No. And I was just like, oh, and I was at first not really watching it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then I was like, I f- kind of forgot how great this movie is. I thought it got kind of panned. Like it was. It was a, yeah, I, I don't think it was. It was a huge, like, multi million dollar thing and didn't no, quite yeah. make a ton of money because it was just boring and long for I, a lot of people. I can see how people would feel that way. Oh. But, uh. I thought Titanic was boring and long. See, I actually thought Titanic was really good. So, uh, <laughs> I also don't really like Leonardo DiCaprio much, so that's probably part of it. Yeah, well, I I, I see where people are coming from. To me, he's only like a year older than me, mm-hmm. so he's like a contemporary. I've literally watched him his entire career, right? Yeah. So I have like some sort of a respect bond. for him. Well, just like a bond, like we're basically the same age. Yeah, we grew up at the same that. time. 
Just, so. uh, hopefully you would never be like him or hang out with him. <laughs> no. Because you know what they call him and his gang of friends. I have heard the term, but I want you to say it. The pussy pussy. <laughs> I have heard it. And who was the other actor in that? Oh, the... It was Tobey Maguire. No, the little short guy from, uh, Well, him Entourage. too. But it was also Tobey... E from Entourage. Yeah, uh, Kevin Connolly. It was also uh, Toby McGuire. Who I also am not a fan of. Also, Jake Gyllenhaal. He creeps me out a little bit. He was too good in Nightcrawler. I don't think he was in the Pussy Bossy. No, I'm just he was talking. Too young. See, no, I know. <laughs> I just, I just say that because in my mind, Toby McGuire and Jake Gyllenhaal the, are the same this person. This from the classic rock podcast to the movie podcast to the movie podcast. All about the Irish potato famine. <laughs> maybe we'll finish it out with the um, what's that? Uh, that gossip network. E? Uh, or TMZ. TMZ. <laughs> we're, we're, we're done, we're, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we're losing our minds. We're done. Okay. Yes. Um, so once again, that was the, the great Irish... Famine. Famine. Mostly the potato famine. Yeah. But other factors involved. The great Irish famine. Yes. And this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.